Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Now look at my front butt. No, I 
I don't know the first one ever shot on VHS. Not at all. Nope. It was 1970s, 200 Motels, the Frank Zappa movie. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, we wrote about that on one of our articles for the Sesploitation Conflagration back when we were doing this as the blog before it turned into the... uh, before it turned into the uh, podcast, we wrote about that yeah. one in one of our uh, unfinished movies uh, articles. Yep. Yeah. And the second yeah. one was Boarding House. Oh, Boarding Ooh. House. Man, I haven't thought about that movie forever. Yeah, <laughs> that movie is bad. I mean, it's just bad, bad. Oh. Uh. It's one well, of those they I tried. wish they would have put on a Mystery Science Theater 3000, but the movie is so damn long and boring that without the kills, I don't see how they could have done it. Right, right. Yeah. I think the biggest problem with that movie is they. it seems like, it almost seems like, okay, so you know when Kevin Smith made Clerks, he said, I'm going to put myself in this movie in case I never get a chance to make another movie. At least I can have one movie that I can put on and say, hey, remember that time I wasted all my money on a movie? Well, at yeah. least I'm in it. Well, That's what it feels like. With Boarding House, it feels like the director, uh, I can't remember who directed it right off the top of my head, but yeah, it, uh, it feels like he was like, I got a bunch of ideas for a movie. I'm going to put them all in one movie just in case I never get to make another movie. You know? (laughs) Well, the real reason he took on the role in Clerks is uh, the actor that was supposed to play Silent Bob canceled about three days before the movie started, and he's like, oh, shit. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Uh, And he shot Clerks to be DTV movie. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, he didn't. Yeah, I don't think he expected. Uh, I don't think he expected it to get picked up. Uh, and I mean, as luck or curse would have it, I mean, he did enter into devil's bargain with, you know, Miramax. Obviously, we can. It's not, you know, it's not just about the Harvey Weinstein accusations of, uh, you know, sexual harassment that have shown Miramax to be in a troubled light. Anyone who doesn't know the troubled history of filmmakers selling their films to Miramax and then never getting a chance to make another movie or not having any say on how their movies get cut. I mean... Harvey Superman. Yeah. Miramax was just a shit company. I mean, I don't, you know, whatever. I mean, of course, you know, I, I say that you know, oh, yeah. everyone knows I mention it every week on the show. Quentin Tarantino is my favorite director, and I appreciate the fact that Miramax and going forth, the Weinstein Company has given him final cut and let him do whatever he wants, and he's made some of my favorite movies, but those guys are douchebags. Fuck them. You know? Yeah. They screwed, over, they screwed over a lot of other young directors who could have made a big impact on the world of independent cinema. They latched on to Tarantino and Kevin Smith because they, that was their popcorn money. That was their bandwagon, you know? So. 
whatever. And another big one on DTV that really wasn't a franchise, but two, was uh, Black Devil Doll from Hell and Tells from the Quad Dead Zone. Yeah, yeah. Those were, yeah, I liked both of those. Um, those were both ones that uh, I found. Th- actually, this is how far, I know, you know, you and I are both the same same age. We're both getting up there, but... I rented both of those movies from Blockbuster when that was still a thing. <laughs> and I bet you wish uh, you would have stole those tapes. Yeah, right? Uh, yeah, Because yeah. there's not a copy of it out there on VHS that wasn't... Well, I had him on the show, Chester Novel Turner. Look up Steve's video store, Chester Novel Turner, and he'll tell about every copy of his movies that he just hooked up two VCRs together and duped off the main print tape. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah. I, and you know what? Those I, were really such a big success. Yeah. Name any other black horror film from the eighties. Yeah. That the featured an all black, black cast. Yeah, the only one I can think of is not from the eighties, and that's Tales from the Hood. That was from the nineties. Yeah, in the nineties they got some, but yeah. I mean Turner said that he was shocked when he took his films to video stores, well, the urban ones, and that they would buy copies up as fast as he could get them to him. Right. Yeah. Like, huh. oh, man, all my black audience loves these. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm looking on eBay right now, and... uh the VHS copies that they have on there, the cheapest one is selling for $2,000 for Tales from the Quad Ed Zone. Yeah. $2,000. Well, Quad Ed Zone, I think there's only like 200 copies that are known to exist. Right. It's one of it those that's so expensive because those who got it ain't selling it. Right, but it does like say the, that the master video set is out of print now, and it goes for like a hundred dollars. Yeah, that's what I was looking at too. It says there's still the 2013 massacre DVD, uh, but yeah, that one's a couple it's hundred dollars. Print. Yeah, hmm. it was well, great you know, having him on the show. I mean. All these guys that did this, uh, Scooter McCray and all them, were just great people. Right. But, yeah, I mean, you've seen these guys from Tulsa. The Tulsa films weren't that good. The uh, Truth or Dare, Blood Cult. They weren't very good quality because it basically was them grabbing a consumer-grade VHS camera and shooting their movies, but they were filling a void. Yeah, and they, People you know... People were winning had... so much in the 80s because it was a novelty that they needed product. Yeah, 
And, you know, a lot of these films, you know, come across as kind of cheesy, but, you know, there's a passion behind them where, you know, people, these are people who wanted to make movies and they were going to do it come hell or high water. They were going to do whatever they had to do to, to make a movie, even if, you know, um, it reminds me of, uh, you know, that, uh, the movie American movie. I think we've talked about this before where, uh, you know, they're making COVID, you know, and, you know, it's like, I'm just going to get my friends together every weekend. We're going to shoot as much footage as we can shoot. And eventually we're going to have a short film, you know, it's like, I understand what that's like, you know, I mean, I've never been much of a filmmaker. I've done a few short films with friends, uh, just for fun. But, uh, as a musician, I know what it's like to get together with your friends whenever you can and like, okay, you know, let's write, let's write a new song today. Let's record it. Let's record a version of it today. We'll take it home and listen to it. We'll work on it some more. We'll get it together and eventually we'll have an album, you know? And I mean, I've been doing that since, I've been doing that since 1998. And, you know, I've been in like, 20 different bands and released like 30 different albums, you know, and it's all just been piecemeal home studio recordings. Uh, we're lucky that we have a lot of professional uh, music and video equipment. So we're able to do those things. But again, it's all about timing and, you know, when you, when people can get together, when you can do it. But if you have the drive, you know, you can get it done, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, these people, you could do that and shoot a movie like that and sell copies of major video store chains because the studios were not releasing their A-list titles. I can remember when it was a big shocking thing that Purple Rain and the Terminator hit VHS in under four months after their cinema run. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember, too, you know, it used to be, yeah, because I remember it used to be like you'd go see a movie in the theater, and even when video stores were really starting to pop up all over, yeah, it could be up to a year before VHS tape came out to rent. And then if a VHS tape of that movie came out for sale, I mean, sometimes they may have, they make a joke about it on an episode of Family Guy where uh, Lois is talking about how she spent $300 to get a copy of E.T. And the guy's like, yeah, but now you can watch it whenever you want. You know, <laughs> like, and that's, that's well, not I know really some joke. people back then that were paying $100 a head for a copy of Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, yeah. That's how yeah. much videotape would cost anyone you go and like, how much? Oh, it's a hundred dollars. Even when I was in college, and there were, you know, video stores like not like rental stores, but stores that just sold VHS tapes. Even back then, VHS tapes were like twenty five, thirty dollars a pop. Now you can go to any friggin' thrift store and get them for thirty cents. You know, I mean, yeah. It, 
you know, if they're just common titles, I mean, you know, obviously yeah. we're, yeah, not like we're talking about Tales from the Quad Egg Zone or uh, Buried Alive is one of my, like, uh, one of the ones I want really bad. Uh, oh, the Thriller the Video Jogi. one where they basically just shit all up, where they uh, call out Elvira for not hosting the movie. Right. Back cover. Right. Yeah. yeah, but I yeah want the you would see up. things like, uh, when it comes to franchises, you wouldn't see, then you'd see stuff like Thriller Video, Gorgon Video, and things like that. Thriller Video yeah. was great. They had uh, the complete run of the Hammer House of Horror television series. Yep, yep. Uh, I believe they were also the ones who uh, released all the Tales from the Dark Side on VHS, right? I yeah, think so. they released about yeah. four or five volumes of that. Yeah. Not and they the also series, released two of the most infamous ones on there, the ones that Elvira, the two that Elvira refused to host that was uh, Make Them Die Slowly. Yeah. And Buried yeah. Alive. Yeah. Yeah, Buried Alive, the Joe D'Amato version. That, I yeah, mean, that, that's... Oh, man, I want that so bad on VHS. I look for it all the time, but that's another one of those VHS tapes that's just so... It's not out of my price range, but it's more money than I want to spend, you know? I mean, I could afford it, but I don't know. I, you know, I have to bargain with my, I have to bargain with my wife about the ridiculous stuff that I spend my money on. <laughs> yeah, uh, some places charge too much because I know that the big boxes are popular with the collectors. But yeah, I mean, and we had stuff like uh, we had weird stuff too, where they were throwing shit against the wall. Like, uh, do you remember the two? Tape series that was the Fangoria. How no, I don't. I don't remember that. Was it? Was what it, it is, a big box? They did two videotapes that were basically yeah. like video magazines. The first one was Tom Savini, and it was like a one-hour biography of him. Huh. No, I don't remember that at all. And the second one, they were like, oh, we got a Toby Hooper tape ready. We got a George Romero tape ready. So for the second one, let's do one on Satanism and and get it banned in almost every video store that we can because of the, because of the Christian of the community, because the mom and pop stores are the ones that uh, to have the porno room had to really bend to them, you know. Right. Now, I told you, you when I... Go... go ahead. Oh, no, I was, I was just going to say, I've told you before, I think I've mentioned it on the show before, when I was growing up, there was this weird video store downtown from from my house that I used to walk to all the time. And it was just like a long corridor. There were no, you know, it was just yeah. like you walked in, 
there you walked in, there was a, a, a counter where you checked out when you rented a movie. It was just a long corridor of movies, and they were all separated by comedy, horror, and all that stuff. They didn't have an adult section. They did not have an adult section. But, I mean, this place had, this is where I first rented Stalo, where I first rented Last House on the Left, Clockwork Orange, and, I mean, I was like 12 years old, and they didn't, I would just walk up to the counter with these movies, and they'd be like, okay, dollar fifty. <laughs> Bring it back tomorrow. I can remember okay. not even getting uh, carded when I rented uh, Blue Velvet at 14. Right. That's funny. I don't know. Yeah. It was a different time back then. I remember when I was a little kid, oh, probably like seven years old, uh, uh, my mom and I were staying with my grandparents uh, for a while while uh, she was taking some classes at the local uh, college. And my grandfather used to send me down to the store at like seven years old. He'd send me down to the store, tell me to bring him back some chewing tobacco. And uh, I'd go down, he'd he'd be like, get yourself a candy bar and a soda, get me a package of chewing tobacco. And they would sell it to me. Like, at like seven years old. No way I was even close to 18. They would just be like, yep, no problem, son. <laughs> like, Yeah, oh, that's man. one of the funniest parts of Days Been Confused. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, when that 14-year-old guy walks into the package store and buys a six-pack of beer, and he's like, are you 18? Yep. Okay, you have a good night now. <laughs> right. Yeah, you used to be able to get away with but that. Yeah, they didn't give a damn of video stores, but yeah, you would see things like, and the music set. Oh, if you had a video store with a good music section, damn. Right. Back in the so, days where they would have, mine would have a wild shit like uh, a lot of videotapes that were like uh, videos from all your favorite bands. Uh, Heavy Metal Magazine, Pink Floyd, right. Live in Pompeii. Yeah, there used to be a comic book store uh, in the downtown. This was years later. I was actually 18 by the time the comic book store was there. But, but yeah, they used to have a whole section back behind the counter of, uh, yeah, Heavy Metal Magazine, uh, Daniel Cloud's 8-Ball, uh, Charles Burns comics. Uh, and no, I'm talking videotapes. What's that? Videotapes. You're talking about. You're talking about the videotapes. Yeah. 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 I don't think I ever saw any of those. Like, I mean, I guess like heavy metal videotapes, like the fall, the decline of Western civilization and stuff, like, but. Yeah. I don't think I ever saw I don't think I ever saw any videotapes that were like the best like rock videos or whatever. But the one I that I kept you were talking but I never did was able to get because it was always because it was always rented out and it ended up being bought under me is uh 
my local video store had a copy of the great rock and roll swindle. I'm like, damn it, I want it. Oh, I have a copy of the great rock and roll swindle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have that. I have that on VHS. Yeah. But then yeah. what really started to change things is when Top Gun came out. For some reason, Paramount released the movie at $19. And then they seen that video stores was buying 20 and 30 copies and then renting them until they were all rented out, which would be about two or three weeks, and then taking every copy except for maybe two or three and reselling them. Yep. That's what we used to do where I work. We I'll tell you the first movie I remember doing that with, and uh, that was Forrest Gump, because it was such a big hit. My boss ordered like 100 copies of Forrest Gump. They rented every copy out every night for months and months and months, and then we sold all of them except for two copies. Yep. And that's when you really started seeing the little guys well, the first generation with the guys like we're talking about, the Chester Novel Turners and guys like that, be edged out of the market. Yep. Oh, yeah. We had at the, we had a whole section in our video store that was all just big box movies like Octoman and Tales from the Crypt. They were all in the old, you know, big boxes. That was a whole back wall of our of our video store. Nobody ever rented those movies except for me. And only, yeah. you know, I was the only one who ever took movies from back there. I mean, we didn't have to rent them. We got free rentals because we worked at the video store. But that was I was one the, the only one. thing when uh, uh, DVD first started back in 97, 98, and video stores started clearing out their VHSs for pennies on the dollar, and I was there like, I'll buy it. <laughs> right? Yep. Yeah, when our when our video store, the video store I worked at actually closed down completely, and uh, yeah, I probably shouldn't confess to this uh, on the air since it's probably still a felony charge that I could uh, face, but uh yeah, I just filled boxes and boxes with videotapes that I wanted and just stuck them in the trunk of my car and left. <laughs> I I didn't work there anymore anyway. I had a friend who still worked there, so I was just like, well, these big box VHS tapes aren't going to collect themselves. <laughs> they had a table out front where they were just selling all the VHS tapes. They didn't even – they never even switched over to uh, – to DVD, they just closed down the video shop. But man, oh man, I got a lot of really good collectibles from that. That's for yeah. sure. So. But now we're getting so. close to the one that really changed it all was 1989's Batman. It came in the video four months after it hit beat after it was in theaters. No, not even four months. I think about three months. It was in yeah. theaters in June and was uh, on video in September. Yep. And I remember because that was the same day that uh, 
uh, Fox released the uncut version of Suspiria on VHS, and I had the one that still goes for a decent amount of money, and that's the letterbox VHS that was in full Dolby stereo. Right. Right. Yeah. What did you think about the Suspiria remake? Did you enjoy that at all? Or? Oh, I loved that. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad remake. I mean, again, it goes to some of the other conversations we've had on the show before. I didn't feel like it was necessary, but it was enjoyable. Yeah. But, yeah, I think Lloyd Kaufman from Trauma said the worst. He said the worst thing that majors can do is see that they can come on turf that we were working and find out that they can make money. Right. Yeah. And that, and then around 90 you had, this is the first big one, and that's Charles Band's Full Moon. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of full moon movies. I mean, I've sat through more than my fair share of them in my life, but there aren't really that many that I've ever enjoyed. I don't know. He's not like, you know, I don't know. There are a lot of low-budget filmmakers that I enjoy, obviously, but... I don't know, man. Charles Band has just never really done it for me. You know? Well, I like the Puppet Master films. One through three of the Puppet Master films are great. Yeah, I like the the first Puppet Master, and uh, I'm not sure which number it is as far as the sequence is concerned. This would have been a good conversation for us to have last week when we were talking about series that went way too long. But uh, what's the one that has the background story with the Nazi who created the puppets in the first place? That's the third uh, one. That's the third one, yeah. The one yeah, I like that one. Okay. In it. Yeah. But the fans they, always know, really love the... The subspecies series. Yeah, subspecies is okay, but I don't know. We get into crap like Doll Man and Demonic Toys, and then we get the crossover Doll Man versus Demonic Toys, and I don't know. All hey, that Doll Man crap. was fun. Do not. Doll Man, Trancers 2, and Trancers were good. Yeah. Well, if you say so. I can name the two best that you have to love. (laughs) What do I have to love? Castle Freak. What? Oh, Castle Freak? Well, yeah, of course. I love anything that's And the Pit and the Pendulum. Yeah. Well, I love anything that's based on, uh, you know, some Cthulhu mythos or, uh, you know... And Edgar Allan Poe. Of course I'm going to like that stuff. Gordon's ones. Yeah, Castle Freak. Yeah, what he was trying to do, and I like the idea, he was trying to do do a video series like comic books. Right, yeah. One a month, you know. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week when we were talking about Halloween, how they originally wanted Halloween to be a different story every every year yeah. instead of an ongoing series about Michael Myers. Yeah. yeah. And then we can get into the and then we got the long the two longest running ones. We'll get these out of the way because they are the longest. And the first one is witchcraft. Oh, God. Those have 11 films out with a 12th one, I think. I think those have 12 films out, man. 12 fucking softcore porn films about a witch. (laughs) Now, how many of those went direct to video? Every damn one of them. Every one of them, right? Yeah, every yeah. one of them, direct to it's video. people who not are a, too embarrassed to watch Skinamax. <laughs> not a single theatrical release in sight. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Yeah. And yeah, don't I, forget Amityville. Yeah, Amityville. Now, seven of those yeah. with... Uh, they went from the third, first were about the houses, and then after that they went to possess shit in the house. There was a haunted dollhouse, a haunted clock, a haunted lamp, a haunted mirror. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> I think that's basically another, like, family guy joke from way back early in the series. There's one where... Uh, one of the characters sets up a cutaway by saying, uh, oh, you're getting as lazy as Stephen King. And it cuts to the office, and Stephen King's like, uh, my new movie's about a haunted lamp. <laughs> and the publisher's yeah, like, all right. They, much, that's what they did. They much, went there, and there were like maybe about seven or eight of those, but those were actually direct sequels. Right. Yeah. And you would pretty much see anything with name recognition, because you would know this since working in the 90s. If it it had name recognition, people would rent it. It doesn't matter if it was good. It's just they knew the name. Right. And I think, I think after, I think, wasn't Amityville 4 originally a, TV movie that that wasn't a direct to video. I think four Amity was Bill a, seven. The last one was a TV movie for Fox. All right, Amityville: The Curse continues. Right, but after Amityville three, that was all. Everything else went direct to video or direct to cable television. Yeah, yeah. direct. Yeah. Right. Man. Yeah, and they're still they're still pumping out those movies, man. Like not just the remakes, but I mean they're still doing variations on Amityville that are just yeah ridiculous. because you cannot copyright a city's name, so anybody can just slap an Amityville name on their movie. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks when we talk about uh, 
the Romero zombie saga, all because of the the fact that he didn't copyright Night of the Living Dead the proper way. So we got all kinds of... No, these are legit movies made by the other guys that that Romero worked with. Yeah, oh yeah. Yep. But... But yeah, I mean, oh, speaking of uh, Romero, let's talk about zombie. Fulci Zombie was called Zombie Two. Yeah, Fulci. Yeah. It hit VHS as Zombie, and then he did Zombie Three, which he didn't finish. His cut came in at forty minutes. Then Claudio Fragasso came in. And if you've ever seen Zombie 3, it's not good. No. No. The movie that is known as Zombie, or sometimes Zombie 2, the Lucio Fulci movie, I actually enjoy quite a bit. Um, Oh, it's fun. Yeah, it's a fun movie, and it's got a lot of my, you know, it's got a lot of my favorite stuff in it. You know, it's got eyeballs popping, you know, Throats getting torn out. Um, everything I look for in a horror movie. Breasts. Uh, it's all there. It's all there. But, yeah, Zombie 3. No. No. Not having it. And no. then this is the yeah. next trend, which we had Zombie 4 after death. Mm-hmm. Zombie 5. Killing Birds. And there's yeah. another one, too, which I forget, and I ain't going to go get my box set. But what they did is they took completely different movies that were zombie films, but they just slapped the zombie title and put them out here so we could have a zombie series. Yep, yep. Well, we were talking about that last week with a lot of studios will just take a script that kind of roughly resembles a property that they already own and Well, that was Hellraiser, just, the king of that. Yeah, Hellraiser. Yeah, we were, we were talking about Hellraiser. I'm talking about lot. completely finished movies of actual fucking titles. <laughs> that they just <laughs> said, "Okay, let's just put zombie on it." Why? So we can do that. And there was a Zombie uh, 6, which was Joe D'Amato's Absurd, the sequel to Anthropophagus. Yeah, which is actually a really good movie. Not Zombie 6, Anthropophagus. Yeah, I can never, I can't say that any better than I can say the name of our podcast, but yeah. I just say Anthro. Or just use the American title, The Grim Reaper. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, it was like they wanted to. Because if a a regular Joe Six-Pack would go in the video store and see, oh, there's like four or five of these, they must be good because there's six of them. No. Right. There's right. really maybe an exception to the rule, and that's, uh, well, there's Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, which went straight to video, and it was okay. But Bill Mosley is great with uh, 
giant tub on his head that you can see his brain through, but that's an actual sequel to one and two. Right. Then you got four, which is Brian used as ritual, where they just slap Silent Night, Deadly Night Four ritual, and it's not that bad. No, I like Brian Yosna a lot. I mean, he's right there. Stuart Gordon, Brian Yosna, they did a lot of stuff together. That's it, they, they're always Those movies are always fun. You know, anything that those two work on, either together or separately, they're always good. They're always fun, you know. And then you got Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, The Toy Maker. Yeah. And that was actually pretty good. See, I kind of lost interest. I mean, I've seen them all, but I kind of lost interest after part two. And you and I wrote about this on our blog about how part two is basically 50% or more recycled footage from the first movie, you know? Yeah, and so, it's funny. <laughs> and so it kind of kind of turned me off to the whole series after that. I still watched them, but kind of like, yeah, but before five, like I said, they're completely different movie. They just slapped the Silent Night, Deadly Night title on, but they're actually freaking good. Anyone who right. hasn't seen four or five and they get a chance to, they need to. Well, we talked about this when we were talking about the Exorcist uh, movies before. Yeah. Like, Exorcist 3... I don't think was ever supposed to be an exorcist movie. They just kind of shoehorned that in there so that they could call it Exorcist 3. And I think, yeah. you know... Yeah. Well, if you get any DVD of Exorcist 3, I didn't mention this last week, or the Blu-ray, the only fucking trailer in there is the teaser trailer, which causes the movie Legion. Right. Yeah, that's the novel it was based on. I mean, yeah. that that's what the novel was called, yeah. And then there's so. Demons, which Demons 1 and 2 are fun, but then you had Demons 3, The Ogre, which is another film that uh, Lamberto Bava made called The Ogre. It has nothing to do with Demons, but it has an ogre in it. <laughs> right. <laughs> then there's... Uh, Demons 4, El Masquerier de Demon, which is Lamberto Bava's remake of Mario Bava's Black Sunday, and it's actually pretty goddamn good. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. there's Joe D'Amato's Black Demons, a.k.a. Demons 5, and it's not that good. <laughs> no. Yeah. I I hate the fact because I love Joe D'Amato's, like, the movies that his that I love, I really love, but the movies of his that I don't love, I really do not love. Like, he is such a hit-or-miss director, you know? And, I mean, that could, that, that could maybe have a lot to do with it. Like, you know, perhaps psychologically when I see a movie of his that's a sequel to someone else's movies or something, 
and I start to watch it expecting it to live up to, you know, the previous films, maybe I just kind of like tune out and I'm like, yeah, this isn't really as good as, you know, the previous films in the series. And that's actually something that I always uh, have a problem with is when, uh, you know, film series get handed off to other directors. Um, Like, I know, uh, like, the Mission Impossible series is a perfect example. I really liked the first Mission Impossible movie because I'm a big Brian De Palma fan. And then they passed the second film off to John Woo. And I'm a big John Woo fan. So I thought, all right, this is going to be awesome. But I thought Mission Impossible 2 was a shit show. I hated that movie. I thought it was ridiculous. Once, I forget, after Face Off, John Woo didn't give a fuck, and he just shoveled the shit. Yeah. Yeah. He was... I I don't think there's any way in... I don't think there's any way in hell that John Woo fought for Mission Impossible 2. I think the studio said, hey... You're a good, you're a good action director. Why don't you do Mission Impossible Two? And he was like, "How much does it pay?" Because it pretty much shows. And now that uh, I don't remember, I don't think Christopher McQuarrie took over in in Part Three. I don't believe so. No, I but, forget who did Part Three, but he took over four. He was in four, five, and six. The Simon yeah. Pegg trilogy. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, he's but he's been doing it for a while, and the and the Mission Impossible uh, trilogy bounced back. Doesn't really have anything to do with our talking about direct to video stuff, because of course all of those have been huge blockbuster movies that have gone to the to the uh, theaters. But I really yeah. i i just I get irritated when franchises get passed around from director to director to director and, and everything is just uneven and, and unbalanced. And, you know, a lot of times that's enough to turn me off to a franchise, you know, when yeah. if every, if, if every movie is directed by someone else. And I know what we're talking about here is a different thing. We're talking about different films by different directors that just got labeled as a franchise when, in fact, they were intended yeah, it was to be. Just, it was, they wanted to create a ready-made franchise by taking ready-made films and then just slapping on something to make them sequels. Like, one of the right. funniest ones, if you can ever find any of them, it was called Women in Prison Series. They just grabbed random women in prison movies and just threw them on tape and and just yeah. cut out all the credits. <laughs> right. And just called it Women in Prison 4, Women in Prison 5. Well, another good example of that, and it is potentially, I mean, it's, it's women in prison, but, you know, also... Uh, the Ilsa series, Ilsa, She-Wolf of the SF. And uh, after they after they released She-Wolf of the SS, they just grabbed up any movie uh, with uh, 
Diane Thorne. Her name was Diane, right? Diane Thorne, who played Ilsa. Yeah. No, there's only one yeah. they did that with. Uh, the Ilsa Warden. Tigress of Siberia and Ilsa. I think I think it was Wicked Warden. No, that's the one. Uh, Ilsa Oilskeeper of the Harem is the second. Right. Right. Ilsa the Wicked Warden is a retitle of Jess Franco's Greta the Wicked Warden. Right. Right. Hmm. But, yeah, that was not intended to be a series of movies about the same character. They just retitled them because they had the same actress and she was... No, uh, they actually uh, were. The first three were actually the same movie. They just didn't give a fuck. She got killed in the one. <laughs> like, she got killed right. in one. Who gives a fuck? Bring her back. Let's <laughs> right. back. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> So, uh, one of the series that I was thinking of, I mentioned this to you earlier, and it's not really that much of a series, but I just wanted to touch on it while we're talking to uh, direct-to-video sequels, was Starship Troopers. And I'm a really big fan of Paul Verhoeven. I love RoboCop. I think it's a great flick. Um, But Starship Troopers... I think kind of missed the mark. Um, it, it, I guess maybe because RoboCop was such a dark satire and Starship Troopers was kind of trying to make a point about the military industrial complex and, you know, kind of trying to make comments about the futility of war. But Verhoeven yeah. was trying to, Verhoeven was trying to put a little more comedy into it than he did. The comedy in RoboCop, I mean, there's a few comedic moments that are lighthearted, but most of the comedy in RoboCop comes from the fact that, uh, uh, you know, RoboCop, Peter Weller, uh, is so deadpan because, you know, he's a cyborg now. And so, you know, oh, a lot don't of the forget humor. forget the name of the car. Right? <laughs> 6,000 yeah. SUX sucks. <laughs> right? So, but I think I think uh, Verhoeven went a little over the top trying to shoehorn some more comedy into Star Starship Troopers. So I didn't care for it as much, but I still liked it. Uh, like I said, I'm a big fan of his. But the next movie, the direct-to-video Starship Troopers two, that movie sucked. That I I hate that. That's the one where they changed into like a haunted house movie, except right. in a cave with the bugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And then yeah. we had the third one, it, which is a generic action film. Right. Yeah. And again, if it weren't for the costuming. And the fact that they used the same bugs, you know, aliens, uh, as the first film, I would feel like, and perhaps they 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 were written as sequels to other movies, and they just kind of pumped up the special effects and shoehorned in the, you know. Uh, I don't know. The, the bugs look like CGI sludge. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's at least one thing you can say about the first film is that the CGI was pretty decent in it for the time, you know? I mean, yeah. I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Like, I, w- I rewatched the original Jurassic Park uh, a few weeks ago, and, man, the CGI in that still holds up really well. I know... I know it was a mix of CGI and actual like puppetry and uh, practical effects, but man, it Jurassic Park still looks really good, even yeah. now. It's not yeah. as good as Carnosaur, but that's another one. They had Carnosaur, <laughs> which was good, and it hit theaters. But Carnosaur Two, yeah, was an Aliens ripoff. And it went straight to video. Right. <laughs> and Cornersaur 3 used special effects for Cornersaur 1 and 2. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, God it's bless like, Roger uh, Corman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to mention that earlier when we were talking. We were talking about another Corman movie earlier. And I was going to mention that, too. Like, man, Corman, that guy... That's one thing that I always think is funny. Whenever they, uh, whenever they goof on a, a Corman movie on Mystery Science Theater, they always make some joke about, "All right, let's clear the set. We got to film another movie here before tomorrow." And yeah, that's not that, that's not even an exaggeration. You know, you know as well as I do, Corman, man, he would build a set and he would. Or he would rent a set, and he would film as many movies on it as he could in one week. I mean, yeah, you know. like uh, Forbidden World was shot on leftover sets from Galaxy of Terror. Right. Yep. Yeah, that guy knew how to stretch a buck. I mean, there's a reason why he's the king of B movies. You know, like he yeah. knew how to stretch a buck. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, another... it was weird how in the '90s when they would, you would see. There's a line in Clerks where they say, "Ooh, it's that movie with that guy." You would damn sure see people rent like that. Yep. They don't give. Hey. They didn't give a damn if the movie was good or not. It's just if they knew the face or the person on the cover. Right. Which, which brings us to another series that, although it did not go on very long, is one that I think fell off really hard after its theatrical release, and then its two direct-to-video sequels, and that's From Dusk Till Dawn, featuring George Clooney. He left ER after a successful stint to try his hand at films, and the first movie he was in was From Dusk Till Dawn. And again, as I mention every week, written by Quentin Tarantino, directed by Robert Rodriguez, who's not one of my favorite directors. I enjoy some of his films, but he's not one of my favorite directors. I like it, but it hasn't aged that well. Yeah, yeah. It's not Besides even... Besides performance. Yeah, right. Yeah, he, he plays two but characters. But, yeah, they put two quick buck sequels that were shot back-to-back. And yeah. the second was 
from Dustledon to Texas Blood Money, which is about a bank heist with vampires in it. Which... Yep. Didn't want, I didn't like that one. Didn't care for it. No. It's like we went from the giant TV twister to this shitty little biker bar, and the only thing connecting the two films is uh, Danny Trejo is the bartender. Yep. Right. Uh, then we got the, the third one, which is yeah, the hangman's they kind daughter. Of, they kind of bounced back a little bit with the third one, but I don't know. It wasn't, I think, didn't uh, Rodriguez directed the third one, too, though, didn't he? He came he back to direct the third one. He didn't direct it. Oh, right. But he was at least involved in it. Yeah, but the so, reason that yeah. the third one is good is it's got Michael Parks as the star. Anytime Michael Parks is, like, the lead, it's like, okay, Michael Parks. <laughs> right? Yeah. But... I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. One of the big things for me about those films, anyway, is I'm not a big fan of vampire movies. Like, I don't know. Of course, I watched it. I, I watched the trilogy because I'm a big fan of Quentin Tarantino, and I do like a lot of Robert Rodriguez. But I'm not a big vampire fan or werewolf or even like. Uh, like haunted house stuff, like I don't know. Like I like more stuff like aliens and Bigfoot and the Loch Ness monster and you know serial yeah. killer. I could name you know. uh, the worst thing that he was in in the nineties, and it was DTV, and that is <laughs> Destiny turns on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of Tarantino, let's talk about a certain genre that popped up in your video store, and that's Tarantino exploitation. Love in a forty-five. Truth or consequences? Mm-hmm. New Mexico. Uh, uh, two days. Every in the one of those was tough guys talking shit. Yep. Uh, yeah. Well, what? Two days in the valley. Um. Oh, man. Things to do in Denver when you're dead. Yes, things to do in Denver when you're dead. That was the one I was trying to think of. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was so terrible. Yeah, I mean, you would see all these tough guy movies come out on video. And you just, they they just wanted you to think if the guy on the front was wearing a black suit, it was going to be as good as Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction. (laughs) Uh, so terrible. Yeah. And the only I'm, reason I I'm, put uh, things doing Denver in your when you're dead above the rest is Treat Williams is great in it. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. My friend Zach. My friend Zach screams all the time when he's drunk. Uh, he likes to wrestle when he's drunk, and he'll grab you and slam you on the couch and then scream. I am Godzilla. You are Tokyo. <laughs> That's his go-to. That's his go-to finishing line after he grabs you off the floor and throws you on the couch. <laughs> yeah. Oh. 
Yeah, I mean, there were just so many of the, those crappy ones on the shelves that tried to be Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, rip-off. Remember, Reservoir Dogs was shot <laughs> as a DTV movie. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it was bad. It was it, shot I mean, by live home video. <laughs> it still lingers to this day, man. I mean, I see movies. Again, I've mentioned this several times. You know, I've got Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime. I'll go flipping through trying to find something to watch, and there's still gangster movies that are trying to replicate the Tarantino vibe, and it's just like I can tell by looking at the still photo and reading the description, I'm like, nope, you guys are just trying to make some money off of you know, Tarantino movies from, what, 25 years ago? Jesus Christ, how how old am yeah. I now? It's been forever. Like, yeah. like And there's just two getting... DTV videos that you do need to see from the 90s, and that is John Dahl's One, The Last Seduction, and yeah. John Dahl, there he is again, Red Rock West. Yes, those are both excellent movies. And they don't have as much in common with Tarantino as they have with the Coen brothers, I feel. I feel like those would those would pair well, either one of them, I think, would pair well uh, with Blood Simple, I think. Oh, God, yeah. Definitely Red Rock yeah. West. Red Rock yeah. West is so good that Oliver Stone ripped it off for U-Turn. Yeah. You, well, yeah, that's true. U-Turn is a really good movie in its own right, but, yeah, I I can see where you're coming from with that. I never really thought about that, actually. I just kind of figured it like... Because uh, speaking of the Coen brothers, I was kind of thinking about this earlier today. Uh, Fargo kind of shares a lot uh, with Sam Raimi's A Simple Plan. Uh, yeah, except I would, that, that was an adaption oh. off of a book. Yeah, and well, so was U-Turn. U-Turn was an adaption from a book as well. Yeah. But, but Red yeah, Rock West but, uh, is one of the best poor bastard films I've ever seen. Right? Yeah. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Yeah, yeah. and it's one of Nicolas Cage's best movies. It's seldom talked about nowadays. Right. And well, it is opera as great as The Killer with the Stiff Leg. Yeah. I mean, Dennis Hopper is always great. Uh, yeah, um, I don't know. It's It's a weird... It's a weird movie because it kind of loops back around on itself, but not like in a not like in a disjointed time warp kind of way, like a Tarantino movie. It's just kind of yeah. like the, the characters keep falling into the same traps over and over and over again by accident, like just various uh, roadblocks that keep them from getting to what they're trying to do. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah I, I mean. All, all of John, I mean, did how many movies did John Dahl ever make? He only made three, right? Like, yeah. What was his? Uh, yeah, he only made 
the Jade, what was it? Uh, I want to say the Jade Scorpion, but that's a Woody Allen movie. Uh, Unforgettable was, was his third one. The weird one with Fred Leota taking the drug it tries to make him remember who killed his wife, which he was an amnesiac and forgot. Right. Yeah, that one wasn't as good as The Last Seduction or Red Rock West, but... Oh, God, uh, no. But no. The Last Seduction is one of the best femme fatale movies you could see. And yeah. there's some actors who... When they went to DTV for the big stars, they would either go like Steven Seagal and just don't give a fuck and not try. Right. Or they would go like Dolph Lundgren and Jean-Claude Van Damme and be like, okay, I'm going to learn to act, act now. (laughs) Right. Because Jean-Claude Van Damme's films, once he started doing the crap with Ronnie U, and went to his DTV movies, they got a hell of a lot better. Well, I was talking about this to you earlier, uh, like Universal Soldier. Uh, Once, once, Van Damme took over the Universal Soldier franchise and actually started, even though the majority of them went direct to video, once he took control of the franchise. What's that? One and two were at the theaters, and they both are okay, not the best. No, they're not the best movies, but once he took control of the franchise on his own and started, same thing with Kickboxer. I mean, he's not the sharpest spoon in the shed, but once he started taking control of the franchises that he made popular, even the video, you know, even the movies that went straight to video started to improve over some of the, you know, some of the stuff that yeah. that he that he released before that, you know, yeah. uh, he had a better vision of how he wanted his characters. Yeah. To be. And hell and, is great. Uh, yeah. JCVD is fucking hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I liked your movie me. better when you used to kick people in the face. Good. Don't talk <laughs> <to me. laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Universal Soldier 3 and 4 is like the Universal Soldier franchise took a big hit of crack that was dosed with LSD and just went fucking batshit insane. Yep. <laughs> War is one of the most that, insane movies you'll ever see. I mean, you're talking about that. Uh, along with, like, Steven Seagal, like, Seagal never stops taking himself seriously. Clearly, Van Damme is in on the joke. He's like, I get it. I was an 80s action star, and, you know, now my career is kind of fading, but I can still have fun with it because I have control over these properties. I have my Adult Swim comedy show, like, I'm just going to lean into it and have fun with it, you know, and 
I appreciate that attitude with anybody, you know, like yeah. anyone who can stop taking themselves so seriously and just and enjoy Dolph it. Lundgren's you know, films got a, he got a lot better too once he started in the DTV area, like Missionary Man and things like that. They're fun, right? Yeah, it's like, what are you gonna do with your life? Like, are you just gonna be a like? That's what I'm saying. Like, Seagal needs to learn that at some point you got to loosen up a bit and have some fun, man. Like, I I don't hate Seagal. He's made some fun movies in the past, like, but they were straight-up action movies. But, you know, he needs to he needs to loosen up a bit and, like, you well, know. Well, he did. I did mean, you see him in Machete? He's hilarious. Well, yeah, in Machete, yeah. One movie out of what, 30 movies that he's been in? And, you know, I mean, but like I said, he didn't have anything to do with that. He, you know, he was in someone else's movie. He's been writing and co-directing or producing a lot of the movies that he's been in for the last 10 years, and he still takes himself himself so seriously, and, you know, he claims to be a kung fu master and a I don't know, Tibetan monk or whatever nonsense he's talking yeah, he about. Yeah, like, he said he could take anybody down. I forget his name, but this stuntman knocked him out, put him in a, grabbed him from behind, put him in a sleeper, and within 30 seconds he was pissing his pants and shitting himself and was knocked out of the floor. <laughs> 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 Yeah. Huh. Four yeah. was I the one that they did. 
after right. three, they couldn't get the money for the film that he wanted to do, the big budget of Phantasm's End, which was going to have uh, Reggie and uh, Bruce Campbell teaming up to uh, fight the tall man. Right. But now, uh, Angus Angus Scrim is has passed away, right? He's not alive. Is he still yeah, alive? Yeah, he's died. That's, he's only in Ravager for maybe ten minutes. Right. So they'd have a hard time making another Phantasm movie anyway because he was the yeah. main... Yeah, he was the main antagonist. Um, yeah. And what about Don Coscarelli? Do you know if he's still alive? I mean, he was... Yeah, he's still alive. He's still trying to get the big budget Phantasm remake off the ground. His last film was that uh, he directed by himself with John Dies at the End, which is a great, insane little oh. gem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John Dies at the End is a great movie. Yeah, I have a copy of that. I love that movie, and uh, I actually know. I actually know the guy who wrote the novel that that's based on, uh, David Wong. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's a great movie. Everyone should see that. It's weird. And because the, because the movie is based on a trilogy of books and there's only been one movie so far, I will warn you that when you watch it, the ending is kind of weird, but it's because they were setting up for a sequel, which, has yet to happen. So, you know. <laughs> and it's told to drug logic. Yeah. Yeah. You should smoke a lot of pot before you watch it. But that's, that's, maybe that's just me. I smoke a lot of pot before I do anything. So, hey, you know, yeah. that, that's just me. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, there's so many, much good stuff. It's like the 90s. I don't understand why they would go in a video store. Why do you think they would do that? Go in video stores and just like, I know this title. I'm just going to rent it because of the face or that. <laughs> well, I worked at a bookstore for a couple of years, too. And that was a similar uh, aspect of working at a bookstore people would come in and be like, hey, I don't know the name of the book or who wrote it, but the cover's blue. Like, so... That's how Dean Arcoot became a famous author. He kept rewriting the same book and people kept reading it over and over. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yep. Yeah. But, but yeah, no, people would, people would do that all the time. Uh, Like, the the good thing about, you know, like you and I having so much knowledge about films is when I worked at the video store, uh, I would always work with another person who didn't have any knowledge of movies. It was always me and some other person at working, and someone would come in and be like, I want to see the Dirty Harry movie where he does the thing with the thing and the thing happens. And I'd be like, oh, you're talking about Deadpool. And he'd be like, yes. <laughs> you know, and 
all of the other people I worked with That's were like, the dude, the franchise we didn't touch into last week. That one, the Deadpool's bad. Yeah. Oh. Sudden Impact's You're pretty bad, too. It's so 80s that it hurts. Yeah, it, it's one of those movies we should have talked about last, uh, one of those uh, franchises we should have talked about last week because, yeah, I don't know, man. I could have been one and done with Dirty Harry. I'm a big fan. No, Magnum Force know. was good, and The Enforcer was good because of Tyne Daly. The first three were good, but it should have stayed in the 70s. Yeah. Well, again, like we were talking about earlier, I'm a big fan when it comes to, like, spooky movies or whatever. I'm more of a fan of, like, serial killers and stuff. And, you know, the first Dirty Harry was based on the Zodiac case. And I'm obsessed with the Zodiac case, man. I have a stack of VHS tapes and books sitting on my desk in front of me right now that are all about the Zodiac it's one of those... Something endearing. Weird One was wild. That movie was... Uh, you got that, don't you? The Something Weird One, the Zodiac Killer? Yep. Yeah. That was he made while the Zodiac Killer was fucking still killing people. <laughs> yeah. That's why the movie don't have an ending. Yeah. In one of the books that I have, they talk about that, how part of the reason that they released that movie is they were thinking that the Zodiac Killer might come out to see it. And that's what it says at the end of the Something Weird uh, video. They're like, he might be in the theater with you right now. <laughs> that's yeah. how it ends. And yeah. that was a little mini okay. franchise in the OO is the serial killer movies. I mean, we got a uh, Let's see, uh, Dahmer, John Wayne Gacy, uh... There was, there was like, one company that really went off on yeah, those, like, Ted low-budget... Yeah, Bundy and all that. They put out about five yeah. or six of them. They had, uh, uh, what's his name that played Charles Manson... In the original Hunter Skelter, as yep. uh, Ed Gein. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the guy who played Jason as the BTK killer. Yep. Yeah. Oh, they was just cranking them out. Uh, that was blockbuster. They was like, "Oh man, who we get them in? People rent them." Yep. And see, yeah, Thomas Howell yeah. is one of the hillside stranglers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Alright. I I really I like that show Mind Hunter that they have on uh Netflix, but I kinda wish that they'd focus I, I wish that the whole season wasn't focused on one particular serial killer. I mean, they've only had two seasons so far. And, yeah, yeah like, BTK has been, you know, one of the main uh, serial killers that they focused on, but uh, they kind of float around looking for other killers and stuff. And I kind of wish they'd do it more like a – I don't want to say like a procedural, like, CSI or Law and Order yeah. or one of those, but but I wish they'd kind of focus on more than one killer per season because it gets 
kind of repetitive, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting interesting to see how they track down these killers individually, but I don't know. It's kind of, I don't know. There's a thing about, uh, like, streaming television, and I feel like such an asshole saying this because we're talking, you and I always talk about going to the video store and renting videos and watching movies, and now I feel so friggin' spoiled. I have all these streaming platforms, and I have thousands of movies and TV shows to choose from, and I'll start watching a new TV show, and then halfway through, I'll just get bored of it and be like, eh, I don't care anymore. There's and no I'm thrill like, anymore. Is- There's no hunt. That was the one thing, the thrill of the hunt. Yeah. It's like going yeah. to a video store, going to a flea market, and then seeing that fucking rare fucking movie. It's like, do 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 do. Holy shit! Yes, sweet sweet back yeah. ass song. I still live my life that way. I still yeah. go to flea markets. I still go to flea markets, and I still go and you know. Like, I know I can go on my computer right now, go on Amazon, go on eBay, and I can find exactly what I'm looking for. You know, last week I posted on Facebook that I found that Chucky doll that I've been looking for for, like, 15 years. I found that in the wild, baby. I found that in the wild. I did not, even though I... Ain't that funny how we call it that? When we find something out there, well, it's like... It's like the internet's the tamed land. Right. <laughs> Finding something on the internet's there. like uh, shooting a bear in a cage. Right. There's yep. no challenge. But yeah, it was right. always like something going to a video store and seeing some new title or taking a risk for a dollar. You know. Right. You yeah. get the magazines or the books, and they're like, okay, yeah, we're going to rent this. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know, it's the way, I mean, maybe it's just because of the, because we're older, but I don't know, man. It's more thrilling for me. Like, if I find something, I mean, you know, I follow a lot of, like, toy collecting groups on Facebook and if somebody's got yeah. something that I really if somebody's got something I really want, you know, I'll I'll pay for it, you know, because I know I'm probably not going to find it anywhere else, but man, yeah. I even now I'm out in the wild all the time. I put my mask on and head out and check the flea markets and the thrift stores and I look for anything I can find in the wild and I mean, yeah, if I'm at I a would. flea market and I look where it's like, oh, how much is this DVD? He's like, wait a minute, let me go on eBay. And I'm like, you're going to eBay for prices? Yep. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, nope. It's either $1, $2, or $3, dude. If you're eBaying it, then I can just go on eBay and get it. Nope. Thank you. Yeah. Oh. I know. Uh, I'm pretty sure that my wife was terrified because she's no, she's known that I've wanted that Chucky doll for years now, and we can. I, I, I found it on. I found it on eBay, and I found it on. I've never found it on Amazon, but I found it on eBay, 
And I'm just like, no, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to buy it. That It's too expensive. I'm not going to buy it for that price. And then we walked into a store, and it was sitting right there on the shelf, mint condition, in the box. And I was like, boom, grabbed it. And she was like, I don't want that thing in our house. And I was like, well, I don't know what to tell you. It might be time for a divorce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I've been waiting for this thing for 10 years. <laughs> I felt like uh, like Kevin Spacey in uh, American Beauty. It was, I wanted it. It's mine. Now I've got it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I collect Funko Pops, and I only like to collect commons because once you start wanting the grails or the rare stuff, that's when you get in the fuck you prices real quick. Yeah. Like, I'd love to get a Fight Club set, but Tyler Durden, $8. Okay, I might get him. Oh, they got the narrator. Wait, it's a chase. Wait, it's $56? Fuck you. <laughs> right? Oh, man. My cat just puked all over my couch while I was sitting here talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that was oh. another thing, too, going to video stores and seeing their sale tables and hoping the fuck that they don't know what they got. We yeah. should feel bad about it, but we never did. Nope. Nope. I think I think I got my copy of uh, Abel Ferreira's Miss 45 in the big box uh, for 45 cents. So, yeah, I was like, yeah, you know, I, this was before online auctions, but I knew even when I bought it, I was like, yeah, I can turn around and sell this for a pretty penny. Yeah. I never have. I never have, because I love collecting I went to the old store. It was up in Kentucky when I visited my uh, cousin, and he was... And they had all their stuff for sale. And... Or you make a good deal for it, because they replace it with something else, but... Yeah, he had the uncut original tape of uh, Abel Ferrara's The Bad Lieutenant with uh, Signify Monkey, and it was already after they had changed the audio. And I was like to him, how, I was like, how much you want for it? And he's like, it's not for sale. And I'm like, come on, how much? And he's like, it's not for sale. And any price that you could give me would be insulting me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd, I'd buy that. If, I mean, if, if the guy was selling it. Bad Lieutenant is my favorite Abel Ferrer movie. Yeah. yeah, but I don't own it on DVD or if it came on Blu-ray unless they were fucking put back the original audio. I have it on VHS, so, I mean, I, it's an original release on VHS from when I worked at the video store, so I guess it must have the original audio on it. Yeah. I mean, what they did yeah. is uh, Led Zeppelin decided to be bitches and made him take out a Schoolie D signifying rapper. You know the song that plays over 99% of the fucking movie? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, the version that I have has that in it. Yeah. Yep. They, yeah. Uh, all of the newer editions don't have that fucking on it. Really? Really? I've never seen another version of it, obviously, because I have it on VHS. Whenever I want to watch it, I just pop in my cassette. I've never watched yeah. another version of it. So they, so Led Zeppelin seriously like pulled pulled the song. They forced him to pull the song from the the DVD and Blu-ray version. Yeah, because well, Scooby D sampled uh, Cashmere. Yeah, Cashmere. Yeah. Well, Led Zeppelin stole enough music in their lifetime. They can't let one person use a sample from one of their songs. Uh, no. Jesus. Huh. I never knew that. That's crazy. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you would see franchises all over the place on DTV in the 90s, wouldn't you? I mean, you would get, like, uh, crap that you knew was crap, but people would rent it because they knew the names. Yep. Oh, yeah. You definitely get the kung fu ones like there were, uh, let's see, five American Ninja films. Yep. But then only the first two had Michael Dudikoff in it. Well, then there were the shady knockoffs, too, like uh, My Name is Bruce. And then they still call me Bruce, or... My name was Bruce was actually released to theaters. I can remember seeing that on the big screen back in the 70s. Really? Yeah. Huh. But then they had movies like uh, Chinese Connection with Bruce Lee, but it wasn't the Bruce Lee. It was Bruce... Oh, Lee Lee Lalo. Lee Lee Lalo, I call it. The fake Bruce Lee. Yeah, you had Bruce yeah. Lee, Bruce Lay, Bruce Lie, Bruce Low. <laughs> right? That was oh. Bruce exploitation. After uh, Bruce died, they tried to make everybody into a Bruce Lee. Yeah. And you and Good Times Video were the ones that put out all of those movies. Yeah, and. You know, as far as VHS companies are concerned, I have to say, man, I'm not a fan of Good Times Video. They put out a lot of movies that I like, but I think that their video quality is kind of shoddy, and I don't really, I just don't care for it. Like, and they use cheap, shitty tapes, too. God bless them. But back then... Being able to get a copy of Night of the Living Dead for five bucks, eight bucks, yes! And getting the Bruce well, Lee Station yeah, films, I mean, uh, sometimes Aunt Martha does awful things for eight bucks. Yeah, my copy of Godzilla vs. Megalon is, a, is on Good Time Video. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm above buying their product. I'm just saying that, you know, I as far... I mean, we were talking earlier about some of the other video companies like Gorgon and Wizard and stuff. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a if lot of low-budget. If you're a video collector and you like the horror and sci-fi, there's 99.99% chance in the 80s you had a Good Times video in your collection. 
I have more than one. I'm not saying that I don't have more than one good time video. I'm just saying that, um, yeah, they're not they're not my favorite. Um, and uh, I'm particularly speaking of collecting VHS. I'm particularly disappointed with the. Uh, we were talking about Charles Band earlier. You saw that he released that statement earlier this year that. Uh, or maybe it was later last year, but he had found a bunch of uh, original big boxes in his uh, warehouse, and yeah. he was they were all yeah, duplicates. And he was, was going to start printing off uh, new VHS copies of his movies and sending them out. So there's a store, uh, it's a comic book store that sells action figures and it's actually a really cool place if anyone's ever in portland maine check it out monsters emporium they're cool they have a a pinball arcade out back and they sell vintage toys and they sell new and used comics and records and action figures it's a really cool place uh that's product placement so uh hopefully they'll pay us some money for that since uh we do this for free every week but anyway uh yeah so they had a bunch of those uh those videotapes there so i bought a bunch of them and uh they're they look really nice with the big box and everything and the you know it's obviously like whether or not it's vintage or whether they just made that story up to sell videos I mean, they still look really nice, but the transfer on them is horrible. Oh, they're not even vintage. They were already seen that they were made with an inkjet printer. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why he had to lie. I mean, he could have done that automatically. It's like, hey, I'm going to make new VHS copies of my boxes and everything. And you could buy the boxes for 15 if you need to replace them or just 20 or $30 for that. And we'd be like, okay, here's our money. Right. Yeah, I mean, you didn't have to lie to us. I mean, you probably yeah. had a couple of his titles on tape that you picked up at the video store that you could have used uh, a new yeah, box. Yeah. Or just the box. My it, my only problem with it is just that like the transfer doesn't have a good aspect ratio, and I have to say, I mean, three TVs in my house, and you know, they get the TVs get smaller and smaller and smaller when you go from my living room to my bedroom to my kitchen. The TVs all get smaller. But no matter which one of the TVs I try to watch one of those movies on, the aspect ratio just does not match up. And, yeah. It was like that when he released his old Wizard video stuff on DVD, too. Uh, Best of Sex of Violence, Film Gore, Zombie-thon.
We got Hello? booted. Yeah, I I got <laughs> yeah I got dropped. Are we, we done for the night? Oh, are we done for the night? No. Oh, okay. I didn't think so. So, but yeah, he did yeah. the same thing when he released his uh, wizard video stuff, like a uh, uh, zombie sign, uh, best of sex and violence, uh, yep. film gore. Yep. They yeah, were all like I said, you know, very so- shitty VHS tapes. Yeah. No matter which, uh, no matter which TV I try to watch it on in my house. I mean, we've got. VCRs and DVD players in every room of the house, so it doesn't matter which TV I try to watch it on while I'm puttering around the house. None of them, the aspect ratio is not right on any of them, so I don't know. Yeah, kind of stinks, but um, so well, we still got a little bit of time left. Um, I was gonna mention, uh, we didn't talk about Tremors. That was one that kept going, right? We didn't talk about Tremors. Oh, good Lord, that one is still going on. We had a new one come out this year. I know. I think they have a, don't they have a TV series coming out too? They are, it was out for a year. Yeah. Yeah. But that was one like I I enjoyed the first Tremors film. It this could have easily gone into our conversation last week about movies that uh franchises that have gone on for too long. But uh more to the point, the how many of them have gone direct to video at this point? I mean, did they did uh, Tremors two, two three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine? About eight or nine, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, those movies are fun. But, again, as I said last week when we were talking about some of the other uh, franchises, uh, I could have been one and done with Tremors. That The first one's a fun film. And I, not that I don't like the other ones at all, but, yeah, talk about another franchise. And that's another one that, you're right, people would come into the video store and ask for it specifically because the first one had so many big names in it. Uh, Michael Gross was still popular from uh, Family Ties. And uh, who do you have, Emilio Estevez? Was it Emilio Estevez that was in the first uh, one? Kevin Bacon, uh, Fred War, Reba McIntyre. Yeah. I thought Amelia What's Estevez sad was is because they screwed up the advertising, the first Trenters was a flop in the theaters. I mean, it was a horrible flop. Yeah, right? No. Yeah. Well, what trailers for it, they don't show anything of the monsters. Right. I never well, understood that. That was a 90s trend, too. It happened with the Relic, too. It's like, we got this monster movie with this great big fucking monster, and the monster's fucking awesome. But we're not going to show it. Why not? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
I think a lot of uh, I think a lot of horror directors try to take their cues from Jaws, and they're like, oh, you know, when you watch Jaws, you don't see the ghost that uh, the ghost uh, the shark that often. So you know, oh, let's try to keep That's the monster. the shark was broke. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's uh movie lore at this point. Everyone knows that yeah. the only reason they they didn't show the shark that often was because he was broken, but you know, I think a lot of but, modern directors now try to kind of hide yeah. the you know, but they do it well, on purpose. Well, remember not. there were a lot of the horror films that came out in the 90s that weren't horror films. Oh, the Silence of the Lambs, that's not a horror film. What is it then? It's a psychological thriller. Oh, shit, he eats fucking Charles Napier's face, motherfucker. That's a horror film. (laughs) Right? Yeah. I just watched that a couple weeks ago again, too. I hadn't seen it for a while, and it popped up on one of my streaming platforms, and I watched it again. That movie still holds up. That's a great flick. It really And really, really is that's good. another reason. If it wasn't for VHS, we would not be this knowledgeable about film. Right. And, no. and with streaming, it's like you said. There's like 99 films that I want to watch on there. So if I watch 10 seconds one and it really doesn't hook me, hook me from the very start, I got a bad habit of like, eh, I'll watch it some other time. Click, let's go to the next one. Eh, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I do that a lot on the weekend. You know, I work during the week, so I have Saturdays and Sundays off. And, oh, man, there are so many weekends where I'll I'll just spend like, an hour flipping through all the streaming services, trying to find a movie that I haven't seen before. I'll land on one that sounds kind of interesting, watch it for 20 minutes and then be like, I mean, that that's a luxury that we didn't have back when we were growing up. You had to go to the video store and pick out three or four movies and you had to stick it out, you know, like whether you liked it or not, you either watched it or you didn't, but you paid for it, so watch it or don't. That's how you can tell a really bad movie back then is when you was like, I paid money for this. I still ain't going to finish it. <laughs> right? Oh, there's another or- one we forget that was a big DTV franchise. Children of the Corn. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Yeah. I don't think there's even one of those films that I liked. Nope, Not a single I, I, one. Nope. <laughs> I just I just gave it a try uh, the other. I just gave it a try the other week because uh, uh, my friend Sean, uh, who I work on, I do music and uh, you know short films with him. He's the one who has the studio up in Brewer where we uh, have our green screen and our video equipment and all of our music equipment. So we get together and work on different projects. He sent me a short film called Disciples of the Crow, which was the first 
original version of Children of the Corn. And I think you and I have talked about this before, but uh, Stephen King, back in the day, again, I don't know if he does this anymore, but he was notorious for selling people uh, the rights to his stories oh, for a dollar. Base. Yeah. He'd sell them to you for a dollar. Uh, but so this was one of those dollar movies that some uh, college student made. And it's the best version of Children of the Corn that I've ever seen. Um, but because Sean and I, uh, I keep saying Sean like you don't know him. He's the one who runs our massive. You you know him. I mean, you yeah. don't know him, know him. You've never met him, but he's the one who runs our massive. So uh, Sean and I were going to uh, put a review of it on our massive. So I watched it, and then I watched the first Children of the Corn official full-length movie again, and I was just like, yeah, just like you said, I never liked this. It's not it's not a good movie. It's just, yeah. And I never, the rest of it. In a way, I'm sort of glad I don't have that 80s nostalgia that a lot of my peers have. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, me I love the video store and I love the movies, but I'm not one of those that be like, oh, I got to have that big box. Oh, I got to have that. VHS <laughs> is real film. Well, now I feel attacked. <laughs> no, no, you actually but... use the movies and watch them. You don't collect, just, you know. Yeah. I, I left a lot of the VHS collectors uh, Facebook pages because so many people on there are just exactly what you're talking about. They're just like, oh, I just collect VHS. And I'm like, okay, well, do you watch it? Well, no, I just collect it so I can sell it back to losers like you who actually watch it. Oh, okay, fuck you. Thanks. You know, like. It's like, yeah. uh, let's see, Vinegar Syndrome's pages. I think motherfuckers buy slip covers of Vinegar Syndrome DVD Blu-rays that they got that they don't have the slip covers for for a hundred dollars just for the slip covers. All they care about right? is the fucking slip covers, not the movie. Yeah. Yep. Oh man, the whole the whole like internet marketplace is such a shit show. Like. I I think I told you this before, like, yeah. you know, and you, you've seen this before, but like, uh, I don't know, like three or four years ago, DJ Shadow, who's one of my favorite musicians, he released a limited edition 45, and I also collect vinyl, and yes, I listen to it, uh, you know, so any haters out there who want to talk shit about me not listening to vinyl, just like you want to say, I don't listen to VHS. Well, it's all lies. I watch my VHS. I listen to my vinyl. We actually have four turntables in our house, one in every room. So go screw. But anyway, I wanted uh, a single copy of this DJ shadow 45. And uh, when it went on sale, it was one of those things where, you know, the minute that it went on sale, all 500 copies sold out. And I went to eBay uh, 10 minutes later, 
and one dude had all 500 copies of it for sale on his on his eBay page. He bought all 500 copies and was jacking up the price to sell them. Like, yeah, I, I fucking hate resellers. People like that are just assholes, man. It's like yeah. I was gonna spend. I was going to spend $24 plus shipping and handling on a single record, and now you're telling me, nope, price is now $60 plus shipping and handling. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want it that bad. I mean, yeah, I love my vinyl collection, but I can listen to it on Spotify all day long for free. So, fuck off. But, yeah, it's uh, particularly irritating for me as a toy collector because a lot of those toy companies uh, like Retro Band and, you know, a lot of those limited edition toy companies, man, they'll put up like, oh, we've got 50 of these custom-made action figures and, you know, we're going live on sale right now. And if you don't already have your credit card number and everything loaded in and hit enter at the exact moment, someone buys all of them and then puts them up on friggin', yeah, again, on eBay for like, oh, I know it was only $40 when you were yeah. going to buy it an hour ago, but now it's $200. It's like, hey. uh, they're the releasing some limited edition pops on the uh, the New York uh, City Convention in the middle of October, and there's one that I want, and I know that you'd probably want for your collection, but it's only going to be sold on their site, which means it's going to be vanished and cost too much within a second. Right. Which one is it? And it's Snake Pliskin. Oh, yeah. I saw that on uh, on the Funko website the other day. Yeah, I did I did want that. I mean, I mean, I've, it's one of those things where, yeah, I mean, I won't be heartbroken if I don't get it. I already have a huge collection of Funko Pops, and I'm pretty sure, like I said, uh, my wife's getting to the point where she's like, come on, man, you're 50 years old. Can you stop buying toys? She was not happy. I told you before. She was not happy with the Chucky purchase. <laughs> yeah. We have a whole storage unit. I don't understand unit. these motherfuckers. I mean, I love watching the videos on YouTube. They're like, we're buying these $1,000 collectibles just so we can show it on YouTube, trying to make more money so we can buy more stuff. Yeah, right. There's yeah. a difference. There's like a thin line between collecting and the sickness. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty. I'm pretty. Uh, I'm pretty reasonable about it. Like I used to just collect toys, kind of across the board. Now I only collect horror and sci-fi stuff because that's what I'm into. I like horror. I like sci-fi. So, between that, you know, and my VHS and vinyl obsession, I think I've got enough stuff, you know. I don't think I need yeah. to just keep buying, you know. I see lots of cool stuff when I go out to the stores, and I look at it, and I'm like, yeah, you know, if I was into superhero stuff, I'd probably buy that. But and I, not that I don't like superhero movies and stuff like that, but I'm just like, nah. I don't need a, I don't need an Iron Man action figure for my collection, you know. So, I have I have reeled it in quite a bit over the years. I yeah. used to just collect, you know, 
I used to just collect everything, you know, whatever yeah. looks cool to me at the moment. But yeah, but ironically, now that I'm a full-grown man with a good-paying job, who has a wife who has a good-paying job, I could buy anything that I wanted. But now I'm like more reserved than I ever was back when I was like a starving artist trying to make it as a stand-up comedian. I was like, Ooh, I can, I I think I can buy this this week. Who cares? It'll, what, what is it going to mean? Just to have to eat more ramen noodle this week. Oh, well, (laughs) but you know, yeah. When we was young, we'd see all these magazines and stuff telling us about these cool movie titles and stuff. And, if we were lucky, we would have a flea market with a guy. I had one over in Knoxville that would be like the dealer, the hookup. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You'd go to him, i like, hey, what you got this week? And he always had like a stack of three or five uh, tapes that he had had in a box under the table just for me. He's like, hey, I got this and this and this just in. I'm like, all right. Uh, yeah. yeah, we used to have a guy like that uh, in the flea market uh, where I grew up. He'd always have, he didn't keep them especially aside for me, but he'd have a box under the table. And, you know, I'd go up and look at what he had on, on display, and I'd be like, hey, man, uh, you got the good stuff? And he'd be like, come over here he'd take me behind the table and pull the box out and let me dig through it that's where i got my copy of solo uh, that's where i got my copy of last house on the left um all all yeah. vhs but well, you know it's one of those i would spend so much money there that he would take you know it's like i gotta take care of my good customers thing <laughs> right right yeah 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 yeah, that was cool, man. After a man. while, I, they give you deals and stuff. It's like, hey, if you buy four tapes, I give you the fifth one three. Yeah, right. <laughs> yep, for sure. Yeah, I actually had a, I actually had a deal like that uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, I was wandering after um, after some of the. Uh, streaming services started censoring uh, certain movies and TV shows, I was talking to my wife and I said, man, I'm like, I understand that they're getting rid of the Faulty Towers episode about the Germans because they say the N-word in it and, you know, people are offended by that. And I understand that. I said, but that's like the funniest episode of Faulty Towers. I'm like, I need to get a copy of it somewhere before it's gone forever. And then two days later, I was at a flea market and a guy had the complete faulty towers on VHS for sale. And I was like, uh, I was like, how much do you want for these? And he was like, man, I can't sell those. You can just have them. (laughs) I was like, sweet. (laughs) So, Yeah, we're getting deep into ostrich culture where things are going to be, oh, censored or things like that. Yeah, I'm getting super uptight about it, man. And I'm I'm, I'm a leftist, I'm a liberal, 
I consider myself to be a social justice warrior just as much as the next person, and I want to make sure that everyone feels comfortable in their skin and in their habitat and in their role in our society. But at the same time, like, uh, yeah, I'm not going to stop watching Quentin Tarantino movies just because he says the N-word a lot. Like, just because oh, white and, people uh, think the N-word I want to say about this, and I've been too sick to really talk about it. All you people who want to cancel Netflix or have Netflix shut down over cuties, you're so cute. Oh, they're exploiting little girls. <laughs> hey, let me right? take you back to the 70s, little kitties. We had Ugh. films like Pretty Baby, Taxi Driver, Murmur of the Heart. We had there has been Child Bride from the 50s. There have been movies that make cuties just seem like nothing. Yeah, why don't you watch Spider Baby and then come back and tell me how disturbing Cuties is? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you think Cuties is disturbing? Hey, let's crank up that scene in, cute, in Pretty Baby where 12-year-old Brooke Shields is naked banging on the on the Keith Carradine's door wanting him to diddle her. Yeah, I know. That's another one of those things. It's like, I understand why people are upset by it, but that's my whole point is with this whole cancel culture. And I've had arguments with this about this with my friend Lawton. He's like, there's no such thing as cancel culture. And I said, yes, there is. When people disagree about something and therefore it gets removed from our history, that's cancel culture. And I look at it from both sides. I mean, yeah, we're tearing down Confederate monuments, but I don't agree with that either. It's not that that's not what I don't know. I, I can't, I can't extrapolate at this point. We've only got two minutes left in the show, but you know, I don't agree. I don't agree anymore with tearing down Confederate monuments, even though I'm not racist and I, you know, I live in the North, so we won. That's on, (laughs) you know, but I can't, I can't agree with that any more than I can agree with Yankin movies and episodes of TV shows off the air because of their quote unquote racist content. That just doesn't that doesn't work for me. We're supposed to live in a free I society where it just know? cracks me up that you know so many people are like, oh my god, I'm so offended. Then we go through right? the shit already with kids in the 90s, and that movie was, oh, my God, this is really what that No. Yeah. Kids. Kids. That was, kids, kids that was, was bullshit. bullshit. <laughs> uh, kids was bullshit. Uh, Cuties is uh, bullshit. There's no difference right? between banning a movie and burning a book. And with that, I'm going to say what's coming up. Uh... Next week, we're going to start Halloween here with all of the non-Romero done by Image 10 legit sequels, Tonight of the Living Dead. And you're going to be shocked how many they are. Yes, indeed. I'm not going to be shocked. You were shocked when I mentioned that. You're like, there actually is? And you're like, Jesus, I think. Maybe 10 or 12. Uh, yeah. 
All right. Well, uh, that's it for me. Uh, I'll catch up with you next week, and we'll uh, do our Romero show. Sounds like fun. Okay. And good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.